0: Hey, Reading Lens listener, Jason Banzoff here, producer for the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. I want to talk to you about a few things before we kick off this episode. We're going to be ending 2022 with some great Reading Lens episodes. Then in 2023, we got a treat for you. Reading Lens will become the group takeaways with Nick Lenzi. Nick has some great things lined up, so make sure you keep an eye out for the great things coming out in 2023. We can't wait to put these out. So until then, enjoy this Reading Lens classic. Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lenzi.
1: Hey, Small Group Network, we're back with another episode of Reading Lens. We are so glad you chose to take time to hang out with us. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. If you're with us for the first time, welcome. We're so excited that you've joined us. Here is how Reading Lens works. Each month I have a guest with us who's also a Small Groups Point person to share with you insights from books we are reading and what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership and our small groups. To help me with today's book is Peter Englert from Browncroft Community Church. Church in rochester new york welcome to the
0: show peter nick thanks for having me you're like a legend on the small group uh, network so <laughs> i feel i feel honored to be on the podcast i'm happy we finally get to,
1: we finally get to meet so um this is gonna be a Great episode for you listeners, because I feel like there's people that you know that you're going to be good friends with before you meet them (laughs) sometimes with a small group network. And Peter, like it's been awesome seeing you come in because you're very engaging on social media, which I really appreciate. So you're like involved in our social media uh, Facebook group. But then you also friended me and we've kind of like... I've hit it. I've stalked a little bit, but like hit it off a little bit. I love how engaging you are in the, in the post you have. So you're a good follow. I, pre- I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you
0: tell the listeners a little about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name name's Peter. I grew up uh, in Binghamton, New York, which is the southern tier. It's on the Pennsylvania border. I went to college at Valley Forge Christian College. Uh, now it's the University of Valley Forge. Always felt called to be a pastor, but I took a little detour. I was an admissions counselor, worked in higher ed at Valley Forge. And um, long story short, I met my wife in Rochester, New York, and she's very gracious, very kind. But I believe her words while we were in a long distance relationship was someone's moving and it's not me. And uh, (laughs) I, uh, I felt God's call to Rochester and... So I moved here. I kind of gave up the whole dream of becoming a pastor. I just said, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm willing to work a nine to five. You know, maybe I'll find something else. Stay in higher ed." But yeah. after we got married, got open the door at Browncroft. And um, so, yeah, my wife's a mental health therapist. She's got her own practice. I serve as an adult ministries director, which is basically small group pastor. Awesome. And yeah. we have a daughter, Haley, uh, who's going to be three in February, uh, whenever this airs, like the end of February. And then... The reason we're recording this now is my wife yeah. is literally due. So if you like hear this episode and it goes Cut off halfway through, it's done. So <laughs> she's due this Thursday uh, in January. We had another little girl. So I am like hashtag girl dad all, all That's day.
1: Awesome. That's fantastic. So we have, we have a couple of things in, in common. I love that you talked about long distance relationship. My wife and I, she was in Knoxville and I was in New York city at the time when, when we were starting dating and, Uh, She didn't give me the ultimatum. I'm more like, this is going to sound, this might sound terrible, but I promise you it's a good story. But like, (laughs) I went down to visit her and when things were like starting to get going. So we had a great weekend and I've just felt like, all right, I'm selling everything. I'm leaving my job. I'm moving down to Knoxville. Like, she's worth it. Like, all this stuff. And I get down there, things go awesome. And uh, she worked at a church and, um, That evening they had like a prayer service before their service and I'm in the prayer room and the people in the room are like praying the thoughts that are going in my head, going on in my head. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? What is this weird experience? And then we get downstairs to service and we get to the third song and it's all is well in my soul, which is my like favorite song of all time, but I couldn't sing it. It felt like I had a frog in my throat. So I left and went out into like this alley to like where she couldn't find me and just started praying to God, like, what is going on? And he was like, don't you dare think you're leaving Hoboken. I'm not (laughs) done with you there yet. And I was just like, oh man, God, like, come on. Like, this is what I've wanted for so long. And so I, we ended up getting back to, got together and we met and I ended up having to tell her like, Hey, I just want you to know, like, I love God more than I love you. And like that played a bit into our story too. I wish I could get into that more, but like that was one of the best things I could have said to her was that like, I love God more than I love you. Meaning that like she didn't have to be everything for me in that sense. But, um, yeah. So she ended up coming obviously this way because I'm still in Hoboken to this day. You know, I'll be honest, I haven't really haven't had that conversation with God. didn't know if I'm still supposed to be here, but, you know, everything, everything seems to be going well other than a, a whole pandemic. But uh, I think that affects us all. But. Uh,
0: was it was it because you saw all the orange from the University of Tennessee volunteers that maybe God said, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Most likely. Peter, how did you get involved in the network?
0: So some people appreciate my social media. Some people don't. (laughs) Um, So I just I started joining groups and because of my role at Browncroft, you know, basically my rule of thumb is when Nona Jones tells you to do something on Facebook, you just do it. So Mm -hmm. I started like six or seven Facebook groups that I'm managing, leading with volunteers for Browncroft. And then I just started joining some and. I work with, um, a friend by the name of Adam. He owns a company called the joy ethic. Um, he's been kind of coaching me, consulting me. And he said, Hey man, you've got to start blogging, vlogging, Mm. you know, make yourself out there. And then the pandemic hit. So I just joined all these groups. And as I started blogging, I just posted it in there. And, um, yeah. Derek, a couple times, I don't know if it was Derek or someone else. They like, like denied it. Cause it wasn't about small groups. So don't do that folks. <laughs> but you know, I, every once in a while I, I'd post something for small groups and then Derek finally reached yeah. out. He was super gracious. I apologized. Um, but yeah, he said, Hey, you start yeah. writing for the network. And what I learned about blogging is like, you could send an email to somebody or you could write a blog. And for some mm-hmm. reason, people think that you're more intelligent when you write a blog as opposed to an email so there you go
1: yeah that is such a good 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 thing um I, i've used that too and then you can use the reverse where like i have a blog for our church where Someone wrote to me once and they said, you're like, I don't know that I have time for group. And I put the response, like I took them their question and then wrote the blog on it and posted it as the blog. And that has done so well because it was a question that everyone has. Right. And to be able to answer it. So it works the opposite way, too. I think sometimes where you're like, I can't find content. And it's just like, go to your emails and find <laughs> the questions you're always answering. But. What's nice about that then is then you can send that blog to the next person that asks that same question that's coming. Well, I,
0: you know, I don't know about you. I developed a reputation that people send me like Facebook messages and like uh, this last one that I got, was like a prayer request. And they were like, don't share, like don't screenshot and share this. And I'm like, (laughs) like, you know, like, I mean, I I don't know what to do with that. So I don't know if you got some of that. Um, anyways, I, I, confidentiality, big deal, small group leaders, point people. That's awesome. That's so good. Yeah. What do you love most about Rochester? So the cool thing about Rochester, first of all, personally, my wife's from here, Uh, I grew up in Binghamton, which is about three hours South. And so I love upstate New York. There's a ton of innovation here. Uh, Rochester usually depends on what study they're in the top five of patents per capita. Uh, and so when I went to school in Philadelphia, I always wanted to be in an area where, you know, there's innovation, there was, you know, colleges, and this is a fairly decent college town. So I just, I kind of, I feel like I get it. I grew up a, like a block away from where IBM started and Endicott. And so being in Rochester, I kind of understand the culture of like, You know, you went to Knoxville and it sounds like everything I expected, like people praying over you and like hugging (laughs) you and and like that's not like upstate New York and that's not Hoboken, but like the moment that like people trust you like yes. it's amazing what happens. They'll still be like it'll go from that's a terrible idea, don't do it to that's a terrible idea, but if you try it and work, I'll support you. Like and that <laughs> is like someone putting their arm around you. So I just kind of get it and I lived yeah. in, I lived in Missouri for 5 months and like I I know that I sound like I'm seven feet tall from the podcast, but I'm really five, <laughs> six. Um, I was like, I told someone, I was like, yeah, I just got done bench pressing 300 pounds and they were like, really? And I go, have you looked at me? Anyways, but that's so you can tell I got you and me. <laughs> Jokes that aren't going to land on a podcast. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah. There you go.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's a that's a great analogy for like the, the northeast to uh, east coast uh, mentality. The, the way I like to tell others about this, I did. Um, I used to I lived in Chicago for a bit of time and. Someone asked me about the difference between the two and I, I compared it to like a house and that um, I personally feel like the Midwest, they'll let you into the foyer and they'll be hospitable and they'll have a room for you to to be in, but they're not going to let you go anywhere in the house like that. It is like thick, you know, but then in the Northeast, like. You're not getting in their house, but as soon as you get in your house, you are a family member. You can go in any room you want. You can open up anything you want. You can go anywhere. But and so I, I've learned to really appreciate that about the Northeast is that once you gain that trust, the world is the world is yours and not like to take advantage of it, but to, to really get to know an individual. So cool. So let's let's talk about the thing that we you know, the reason we, we got on this podcast together is is um, because of a book that we mutually wanted to read. So this all got started because I saw a post of yours on social media of the next books that you're about to read. And I noticed one of them was never split the difference by Chris Voss. And that was a book that I was really interested in reading as well. It's, it's, it's been in my queue. I think I bought the audiobook for this one. I looked it up was like two and a half years ago. So this is how long this one has been sitting on my on my shelf. Um, And then I got to hear an interview with Chris Foss on Craig Groeschel's leadership podcast. And that was what really kind of really intrigued me. So what made you want to read this book? What made you put this on your
0: list? So I am I feel like I'm fairly ideal, idealistic. I'm not like a cynic. I want to read what other people are reading so that I can understand and join the conversation. I'm a two on the Enneagram. But mm-hmm. there was like three or four people, including um, we're going through a leadership development program. You know, one of the leaders at our church, uh, he's, his name's Gary, he's a coach. He's very different than me. He's like, you got to read this book. Um, and he's like black and white, straight laced. He's awesome, very different than me. <laughs> and then my friend Ramon on staff read it. And I posted that cause I said, okay, I'll read it. And I had like, you know, I am thinking we have all these books here, like, and the most, the majority of the comments were like, read that book. And then I began to see the people that were like posting and they're all great people, but like they're people that I would suspect are like, enjoy negotiation. So usually I come into reading books Fairly excited if a lot of people, But I was a little tentative on this because I was like, oh, man, high expectations. Yeah. Well, not even the yeah. high expectations, but it's like, is this book going to ask me to become something I'm not?
1: Oh, that's a, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about negotiating?
0: You know, it, so for me, it's not a huge deal. Um, I feel like I'm getting better at it. But there's like a handful of people that just bother me. Um, I wouldn't even say just bother me. Like, I just don't trust, maybe not trust, man, I'm like really burying my soul to you. That's what happens on podcasts. (laughs) But like, there's, there's certain people that just rub you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, you, everybody knows that you get this email from, from somebody, And you like literally you cringe because you see the name on it. You're like, I just don't want to deal with you. And as someone that's fairly flexible, adaptable, like I don't I don't try to like be very clear about yes or no unless I really, really mean it. So that's kind of why I was a little jaded with it.
1: Yeah, uh, I am someone who who absolutely despises negotiating. I had to buy a car in June and that was the first time I had purchased a car because, uh, which is crazy. Cause I'm 35 and uh, you know, I, I got a car from my, uh, from my family. And then I got a car from a friend that lived here in Hoboken that was moving and, and they needed to transfer it over. And then I went four years without a car, which was the best four years. But when you have two kids, you need a car. <laughs> um, But uh, I remember going into the negotiations and my whole goal was just only get ripped off a little bit. That was my whole goal. That's how I was defining the win. And uh, after reading this book, I kind of wish I could go back a little bit more. But um, let's let's change gears a little. So
0: what does negotiating then have to do with small groups? Well, so I I actually think negotiating is misleading in this book. Mm -hmm. I think it's more about conflict. And if you frame it, so for my fellow, you know, um, my fellow extroverts, my fellow Enneagram twos, like most people want to be small group leaders, not because they want to be the CEO in the room, but it's because they love and care for people. So this book where it's really helpful is it's about how to engage Conflict. And I think one of the things that's super helpful about that, and this is kind of the one thing that's kind of sticking with me. If you're relational, you tend to hesitate towards conflict, but then you speed up the solution. Whereas I think what this book says is speed up to the conflict and then take your time with the resolution. I think that that's kind of what I'm leaving with. Because from what you're telling me, when you know that there's a conflict or a negotiation never, you're going to push it off to like, you absolutely have to.
1: So what's interesting, I'm I'm sitting here just waiting for the chance to, to get to talk in this. So <laughs> not that you were talking too much. Sorry, that's just. It's, it's fine. It's <laughs> but what more was that like you are two. I am an eight. OK, what? so you see this. You see this as a book about conflict. I see this as an eight as a book about listening. Which is kind of funny because like I think eights would embrace conflict way more than a two would. Right. And a two would embrace listening more than an eight would. So like to me, this was all about learning to listen well to others and empathizing with them and like trying to uh, control through listening. And so like I think that's just gifts that a two has and that like the conflict side comes easy to an eight. What do you think about that? Does that
0: sound well hold on a second? Like hold on. You just like blew my mind. Okay. <laughs> so you just blew my so help me help me understand yeah, can... how you as an eight don't enjoy negotiation. Oh, that is weird.
1: Um, you know what it is? Is that um I don't like feeling like I'm not an expert oh. or or like in control. And because so I can negotiate if I know all the points. So if I go into an argument, I'm like very well prepared. So it's interesting. This might be a little bit of one-ish that, that I'll, I'll blur in between. I'm um, sorry for this becoming an Enneagram podcast. I, I'm sorry we just lost you, those that, <laughs> that, that just aren't there yet. But um, I, w- I would say that would be that part of the eight is that like I... Yeah, I, I I feel really uncomfortable. You had talked about others how like you have you have uh, staff members who are very black and white like that would describe me as well. And negotiating is like is that kind of gray and trying to, to, to trying to figure out where that is, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. No, but.
0: that that makes a ton of sense. And to those of you that just fast forward cuz the enneagram if you <laughs> if you don't know where people are coming from, like then I mean, you'll miss the point of this book. So one of the uh, I should I don't even want to use the word neat. One of kind of the things that caused me to pause was one of the worst bank robbery shootings was in 1981 Mm -hmm. in Rochester, New York. So I'm reading this book in Rochester listening. And it's because they didn't practice the steps here. And so, you know, you're telling me about Chris Voss, which is probably I haven't heard him talk all the stereotypes I thought. But then when I read this book, you know, I told you, my wife's a mental health therapist. It was all the advice that she gave me. And one of the things that I think that I tend to do, and I think that a lot probably of our listeners tend to do is we over-apologize. And I Mm -hmm. think when you're in the midst of conflict, like sitting with some of the messiness, but also putting good questions out there. So no, I agree with you that maybe what you're saying, hey, listening, but I saw it as learning how to engage conflict better.
1: Yeah, maybe it's just because of this first chapter that it sent me on this bent a little bit, but it says listening is not a passive activity. It's the most active thing that you can do. And I think that's one of the things that we try to teach our small group leaders to do is be those good listeners and ask that next question as opposed to like all right i'm gonna come in here with my point or i'm gonna tell you what what i think you should do but rather like try to draw that out of them and i think this book does just a phenomenal job of trying to help you through that Um, even though we're not dealing with terrorists or or bank robbers or
0: or car salesmen like we're dealing with with humans well and you know this is a culture thing but this happens in small groups Mm -hmm. you don't have to agree with someone to empathize with them. So the whole chapter on mirroring. So people want to feel understood and trusted. And he says that over and over again. Uh, So like when I'm talking to you, can you explain mirroring? Yeah. So mirroring is like this. So um, for those of you listening, let me paint you a picture of Nick. Nick is, you know, sitting kind of sideways. He's looking at me. (laughs) He's got a smile on his face. Um, you know, what I might say to him and he's shaking his head, you know, Nick, it, it, it looks like, and it feels like, you know, you're really excited and you're with me. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, well, sorry, I was supposed to say, that's right. That's what you're trying to get to. Well, maybe, well, I mean, so that's a great point too. And we'll probably come back to that later, but you know, I, I think we train small group leaders and small group point people to like, be aware of the room you know, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about the day that we're recording this, my pastor just got done preaching about Abraham and uh, Sarah in Genesis 16, where, you know, she asked Hagar to have the baby. And like, it's a mess of a story. And like, say you're having a discussion about that and infertility comes up and, Mm -hmm. and someone's head drops and like, they disengage from conversation. Like for you to be able to say, Hey, John, like something happened when we said that, you know, can you, you know, you know, I just want to check on you. Like if we're not looking in the room, we miss those cues. Yeah,
1: that's really good. I mean, a a lot of this book is just kind of reaffirming some things that we already teach that I think it was, was really powerful, especially because it's just coming from such a different angle. I mean, this was what Steve Gladen and I really just got interested in starting this podcast because There's so many great business books and and other books out there that like can help you learn about small groups. And that's kind of what we wanted this podcast to be. And I I think this one's just a a really great example of this, of like being able to pick up this book and just even though it has nothing to do with small groups, it is so many applicable points go with it. So let's go to this. So one of the tips that he gives is, you know, that the negotiating starts with no. So sometimes when it gets to negotiation, the thing that we're afraid of most is no, right? Um, I think about even just calling the cable company and being like, hey, can you reduce my bill? No, all right, uh, you know, But uh, it, but to seek the no and that yes is actually the final goal of negotiation. So if negotiating starts with no, right, And, you know, yes is the final goal. When it comes to to group, are there some final
0: yeses that we are searching for that instead maybe we need to start with no? Sure. So, you know, when you when I saw this question, I actually wanted to back up a little bit because I think there's two things that Voss brings out that are super helpful now. I'm going to try to like small group Christianize this. Uh, (laughs) I I don't think he's trying to manipulate. I think he's trying to be authentic, but he said people need to feel like they're in control. So when Mm -hmm. someone says no, they're in control. So I I think about this, you know, if you ask a small group leader or like a new small, hey, uh, you have the opportunity to say no. How about you lead a five-week short-term small group? You're immediately, and one of the other things he talks about is, like, taking the objections off the table and speaking them aloud. We don't always do that. So, number one, when you're communicating about something, you know, does the person feel like they're in control? Because going back to that sales thing, like, they know what you're going to ask, so, mm-hmm. you know, trying to have a repertoire, trying to understand, that's the first thing with like people feeling that they're in control. And the second thing is, and I think this is a really, really good example. So he was talking in one of the chapters about a woman um, that has a hostage negotiation in Haiti um, for her husband. And they started off with like a million and their number was like five thousand and i think at the end <laughs> of it she ends up paying 2500 and she simply just keeps going back to how am how am i supposed to do how this how am i supposed to do this how am <laughs> i supposed- yeah. and like people want to be part of solving the problem and this kind of goes back yeah. to what i said before which is if you if you try to fast track the solution and engage the conflict mm-hmm. late This becomes difficult. So yeah, with the no's, you know, I I think about this. Yeah, you want to get to the yes and you want to get to the no's, but even backing up more is learning to ask the right questions and not being afraid of the no. You know, so, you know, if you come out with, you know, hey, how about you lead a small group for a short term? No, you know, that's kind of an opportunity to have more of a discussion. And again, it comes to, does the person feel like they're in control? And then does the person feel like they're solving a problem?
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think about this in terms of like, you you talked about leadership recruitment. I think it's also there for group, group promotion. So I think one of the things we're constantly trying to um, do inside of Groups Ministry is get more of those promotional items out there inside our Sunday services and on our social media. And I think sometimes we go into our comms team and just like, we kind of force it on them as opposed to like, hey, is this a good week to potentially post this, you know, kind of thing and kind of starting that negotiating there as opposed to like, hey, I would love for us to do this this week.
0: But even even with your comm team and just kind of negotiating from that it was so we assume that people know like the win Like we assume Mm -hmm. that like the Bible. That's a great point. You know, the Bible says thou shalt be in a small group because Jesus was in the small group. (laughs) Don't go look for that in first Nick uh, one seven. But like, so we just, we just assume, but like when you walk in there and you say, you know, you know, it would be really awesome. If we heard about this Facebook post about people sharing about their small group, and then we recruited three people that tell us, you know, the favorite thing about your small group, there's ways that we have to help connect. And I think that that's kind of what negotiation does, because, you know, and I was thinking about this. Let me give you this example. Um, Think about an overtalker. We run into that all the time. And the way that this book got me to think of it differently, the yeses Mm -hmm. and the noes is if you don't know why someone's an over-talker, you might fix the wrong problem. So oh fantastic. So so think about this. Um if you if an over talker who's anxious, like they just start talking and then they're in group and they like verbally, you know, puke, like they're just going. Yeah. Well I'm going to handle that person very differently than I would an over talker that wants to take control. You know? So if you don't understand why someone's doing that, then when you get to conflict resolution or even kind of problem solving, like the controller might say, like, if you said to the controller, Hey, can you help me like have other people to talk? Cause that's like a classic small group discussion. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'll lead next week. And you're like, I'm in a bigger mess right now. But with the anxious mm-hmm. person too, if you say, hey, can you help other people talk? Like they might say, no, no, no I, can't, I can't do that. Whereas if you say, hey, you sound a little anxious when you talk, like help me understand that. Yeah. I think that's an example there.
1: That's really, it's, it's really interesting. You just, you just sparked a, a thing in my brain in that, um, you know, one of the things we train our leaders and uh, it's become really popular uh, at, at our church is we have this thing called OIC which is observation interpretation and clarification and i th- i think this is about like letting them have control of the conversation. So observation is, all right, what's the what's the thing that you're observing? So, hey, notice that you haven't been able to make group in the past four weeks. So that's like the kind of fact or thing that's there. And then there's interpretation. I don't know if things have maybe picked up at work or something's going on at home, or maybe uh, you're disappointed with how group's going. Could you clarify for me? So that's the I. And then the, the C, clarif- clarification. Could you clarify for me? And that gives them control of the conversation allows them to to kind of talk that out. But it's interesting, you know, the conceding control being a, just a huge theme throughout this entire book that I think is fascinating because you would think in a negotiation, like you're the one that wants to be in control. But I guess, you know, one of the things that goes against that though is, uh, or not goes against it, but he he kind of compliments that. So this is a quote from the book. It's in chapter seven, it says, who has control of the conversation, the guy listening or the guy talking? The listener, of course, that's because the talker is revealing information while the listener if he's trained well, is directing the conversation towards their goal. They're harnessing the talker's energy for their own ends, which I, I just think is is interesting.
0: Have, um, you, um, that, have you talked about uh, the book Managing Leadership Anxiety from Steve Cuss? No. Um, you got to add that one in there. Uh, it's probably <laughs>
1: one of the... Maybe that'll be your next episode when we get you back. Done.
0: Done. <laughs> I, I love that book. But one of the things he talks about that connects to this book is... You know, so Steve talks about being a non-anxious presence and a lot of the book is built out of the family systems theory, but what Voss talks about is having, um, a radio type voice. Oh yes. The late night DJ. So, you know, when you're going into a difficult conversation or even a small group discussion, you want to say less and talk slower and just say, Nick, you know, it sounds like this book has made a big difference on your life. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, so, and, and again, I think some of you are going to hear this as manipulation, but you know, it's actually for you to slow down and really hear. So it's not even just about getting to the right point. It's if, if I'm so ready to say the next thing that I miss what someone's saying, I've lost control of the conversation.
1: That's so good. Man, that's, that's a great example. I think, you know, one of the, the tactics that that was really helpful for me is I got a lot out of this book on, I have to write discussion questions uh, each week. With uh, I do it with a team at our church. And one of the things that was really helpful with this book was, uh, he talked about a thing called calibrated questions. And I think they're really beneficial to helping us write those discussion questions because one of the things he was talking about was have more, what and how questions as opposed to why questions. So why questions cause people to become more defensive, whereas how uh, usually leads to more clarification from the person, which which I thought was just really good in, inside that in, in ways that I'll be able to use this, this going forward that I thought was helpful. Anything that you grabbed from the calibrated questions?
0: Yeah, if you're writing and you're sermon aligned or something, you need to be asking, where do I want people to land? So mm-hmm. you know he actually talked about teaching students like, and he 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 wrote out a group guide literally, like, yeah. here's the ten questions that you have to ask, and where do you land with that?" Uh, so you know, I think about that, you know, sometimes we just kind of check the box and we phone it in and I'm even thinking about this as a pastor at, at this church at browncroft we whoever speaking writes the questions which i think is awesome because you know the material the best um but even just not hey i'm not going to just phone it in and here's my bible question here's my observation question and here's my application question no where do you want people to land so how do i help people land on examples in their own life that they can apply it so notice i didn't say how they can just apply it where are some examples so Is it is it work? Like, are you Mm -hmm. in the room or venting? You know, water cooler area, and you're not changing, and you have no idea that your reputation stinks. That's why you're not getting promoted. Or, you know, does your spouse like? Are you, you know, trying to control your spouse, like everything that they say and do? Those are the conversations. So, how do I get someone there? And then you begin to see how the Bible. Actually opens the questions and doors to get there, and how do you serve that in a way that small group leaders can have that discussion?
1: Yeah, I think one of the other things that I really enjoyed too was the seven thirty eight fifty five rule. So this isn't his actually principle; it's it's from someone else. I'm sorry, I I don't have the reference, but it's in his book, so I'm giving him credit on this one. But it's seven thirty eight fifty five, which is. Uh, 7% will remember the words that you shared. 38 is the tone in which you say it. And 55% is the body language. And talking about like how important it is to be there in person if possible. And I think about the times where, you know, I, I've learned this the hard way where like, you know when there's conflict to try to get there as soon as possible as opposed to like let's try to handle this through email or just things there's just too many variables that can go wrong they can't hear your tone they're reading the words the wrong way um, especially a guy like myself who's like very black and white and kind of aid-ish with how i will directly say things <laughs> gets me in trouble a lot um but at the same time i also have a really bad poker face that i need to work on um and, and being approachable um but this was just really helpful uh, for me as well, and in, in taking that into consideration as to as to how people hear things or actually not they how they see being a part of how they hear as well.
0: Well, and what I think is so important about that is sometimes you don't even have to bring up what the conflict is. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's let use this as, as an example. You had done with group Nick, you know, you looked um you looked fairly angry tonight, you know. can you, can you help me under like just to me? And I probably, my wife's going to listen to this and she's going to be like, you, you botch that you're not the therapist, but (laughs) you know, Nick, it looked to me like there was some anger tonight. Like I just, am I wrong about that? Am I, you know, and you, is there something going on at home? Yeah. And and you might come out and say like, Peter, you're the biggest idiot leader. And usually (laughs) that's when we get scared. But, that in this book, what they're trying to teach us, and I think what the Bible's trying to say is you know, you could have had a terrible day. You know, you've got kids running around the house, and for some reason, we just tend to be the target. And if you really just keep asking questions, then all of a mm-hmm. sudden now you've gotten to the root cause of the problem, which If you all of a sudden get offended, and this is where Enneagram twos or people that are feelers, like they're taking this on as opposed to, and I think this is one of the most helpful things in this way. You're not supposed to take that on, you know, you're supposed to kind of listen and pull that in and, and kind of be Teflon not to dismiss what they're feeling, but if we don't spend time getting to what's really going on then it's just a waste of time. Anything else you'd like to share before we end? So I think the last thing is I loved when he said that's right versus you're right. Oh, yes, that's right versus you're right. So I want to come back to that because I think that that is super, super important. So how many times have you been in a conversation with a small group leader, you're recruiting someone and, you know, you just you hit him over the head, like a salesperson, you know, you, you need to pay $50 for cable because Hulu and YouTube or anyways, that's a whole nother thing, but you know, they go, yeah, you're right. And, and he makes this distinction. He's like, no, when they say you're right, like they're not there, but when they say Mm -hmm. that's right, so
1: and they're unlikely to act on it. So when they say you're right, like they're un they don't actually believe it. They're kind of just trying to end the conversation.
0: Man, see, that was so good what you said, right? Because that was the clear <laughs> and, and you think about how often that happens. But when someone says that's right, you're in a mm-hmm. totally better place. And you're in a better place because they're kind of taking ownership of that. So yeah. I think about this. So we have elders, we have other pastors on staff. You know, they'll say things like, "Hey Nick, why don't you just recruit more small group leaders? That would like solve all the problems." And you know, you're kind of like, "Well, how am I supposed to do that?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty much, and what you this keep book. asking that. <laughs> yeah, and you could end that conversation by saying something like, "You know, I'll just keep doing it," or you keep asking them, "Is it? Hey, yeah. people feel busy. Oh, people feel inadequate." And sometimes you even want to end with what's your investment in this? So I read that as like getting super offended. Why would anybody tell me this? Why would, but people are natural problem solvers, you know, mm-hmm. what if everybody says that they're busy, what are we going to do about that? And maybe by the end of it, when they go, Oh, that's right they'll at least understand where you're coming from as opposed to being defensive.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think one other thing that would, that would be a, a disservice if we didn't include this as well, for those who, who might not check out this book, they talk about the importance of having a second or third or fourth listener. That's also listening in on what's going on. So, so he actually is a, Negotiating, you can hire him as a consultant, kind of thing, but he won't actually do the negotiating for you. He's going to coach you through it and he's going to listen in. And a lot of the FBI calls and the negotiations, like he's not actually the one doing it, he's coaching someone else. And they were just talking about the importance of other people hearing the conversation because they're going to hear different things and i was just thinking about how important that is inside of a group setting as well to be able to have like asking someone else like hey i know i'm gonna be the one asking questions but can you be listening just as well and and throw in questions that that you might be wondering as well and not waiting for me you know as the leader to to ask those questions might be a really powerful empowering thing but then it also brings me back to matthew 18 right about um, you know, if you go to them first and you're unsuccessful, come back with another person and that person's role is to be that other listener. So, um, I realize that's like a extreme way to make that point biblical, but like, I think it just shows you the value of like, it actually is valuable when you have not just yourself listening, but somebody else there to, to listen as well.
0: And think about this so. being super practical, um, Mm -hmm. This is why you have under shepherds in your small group. This is why you Mm -hmm. raise up leaders, not just so that you can throw them to the wolves and start a new group. But if they felt valued and empowered, imagine how they're going to lead a group. So, you know, Nick, let's say I'm a leader and you're my, you know, under shepherd or I'm raising you up to lead a group. Hey, Nick, what do you guys use the term under shepherd? Well, I we don't, <laughs> but I I don't know. I, sorry, I feel like that's small group lingo. So I've heard that okay, we would say like apprentice, apprentice or, you know. I, I, I'm yeah. sorry, well. <laughs> It's okay. So, what's funny is, and you can take this out, but like we, so we don't call our coaches coaches. We call them coordinators because like people okay. in Rot-
1: We go with community
0: leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. like people are like, I don't want to get coached. Like, I don't want to, yep. I don't want to get Bobby Knighted. And it's like, it's not Bobby Knight. It's like, anyways, but coming back to that apprentice, you know, under shepherd, whatever you want to call them. um If you go to them and I say, Hey, Nick, how did group go tonight? Well, you know, you you didn't let there be any silence you know you rushed over here like all of a sudden you're empowering people and what a way to build leadership Mm -hmm.
1: so this is a great book you guys should pick up listen to i realize you heard this podcast but we didn't cover we probably covered a quarter of what's in this book so highly encourage you to pick this up um so let's head into our our lighting round and one so same question we have every single month um Peter, what is another book that you've read recently has had an impact on your leadership?
0: You know, so uh, right now, um, we just as a staff read One Blood by John Perkins. I think every church leader should read that. It's kind of his manifesto. He's 80 something years old. So, yeah. So, super, super steep in wisdom. What's it about? You know, he just kind of reflects on the Bible, on racial reconciliation, on reconciliation Mm. in general. And... I just think every church needs to be reading that. He's, yeah. he's a fair, gracious, truthful voice that I think we need to be listening to.
1: That's awesome. And what's one you're looking forward to
0: right now? I, I think I'm looking forward to Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. So probably somewhere in here, we should probably link the post where you found out I was reading this book and stuff. But
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, we could do that. Yes,
0: that'd be really we can do that. So I also I'm looking forward to I won't talk about them, but United We Fall by David French. I'm curious with all the politics. And then my friend Jason Romano, I've kind I need to read this, but the uniform of leadership about work. So lots of good stuff for small groups there.
1: Well, Peter, this was great. Thanks for being with us today. Well, I'm Nick Lindsay, and I want to thank you for listening with us. Thank you to Peter for sharing your experiences. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. Reading Lens will be back next month. And I am bringing on my senior pastor, uh, Chris High from Hoboken Grace Community Church. Um, And we're going to be talking about the book, E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It is probably the most impactful book that I have read uh, in relations to to our small groups and our church. Um, I asked my senior leader to be on this because this book was huge for us in breaking through just being a church plant to becoming a solid, uh, I don't know what they call once you, go beyond church planning but like we became a church right um this is the one that helped us break through and i'm really excited for us to both get to talk through that because it it, because of just the impact it's had so if you want to read along with us that gives you a month to get ahead on that um and come back next week for inside saddleback uh which will air next week on the same place you're listening to right now uh remember leaders are readers take care
0: everyone